The following programme contains swearing and may not be suitable for younger listeners. Hey now! It's your favourite night of the week. Tonight, join Matt Ford and his celebrity guests from the worlds of sport, comedy and entertainment. Live on tape from the St James's Theatre London, it's Matt Ford's Sports Party on Talk Sports. Oh, too kind, ladies and gentlemen, please. It's getting embarrassing now. Uh, thank you very much for coming down uh, to the sports party. I'm Matt Ford, and this is recorded at TalkSport, uh, for TalkSport at the St. James's Studio. Um, we've got some phenomenal guests tonight. We've had some amazing guests. We had Jimmy Bullard last month. Who was here for that? Jimmy, Jimmy Bullard, who was here last month. He's now in the jungle uh, on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. So God knows what's going to happen to Dave Bassett in the next month. <laughs> He'll be eating kangaroo anus within three weeks, uh, or within three hours, if he plays his cards absolutely correctly. Uh, we'll have a wonderful time. Uh, what a legend. I can't wait. I'm a Forest fan, so Dave's a, one of my idols, really, so I can't wait to uh, chat to him. It's been an incredible uh, month in sport. Um, the Ebola outbreak had, a, had an odd repercussion. Daily Adebola, the former Forest striker, <laughs> has had to put out a statement saying that he hasn't got Ebola. <laughs> Because some people were Googling Ebola, his name was coming up. Because in his name is the word... But it's not just that. If you say his name, it sounds like you're saying he's had it. Have you heard Daily had Ebola? Really? No way. That's incredible. The curse now is if he actually gets it. Have you heard Daily had Ebola? Had Ebola. He got so stressed out, apparently, he's had to have time off. Um, he plays for a non-league club now. The stress of it got to him because his family were ringing him because they thought he had Ebola. Although, presumably, they've got the same surname. <laughs> And uh, wherever they're living, they were equally getting accused of this. So he had to have two weeks off. They signed a replacement, uh, Michael had chlamydia, and he's, uh, <laughs> uh, he's tearing up the non-leagues at the moment. Uh, Wayne Rooney got his 100th England cap uh, and celebrated. Don't you saw this? He went back to his former primary school to celebrate with the children. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, he actually wasn't going back to celebrate. He just had to reset a few modules. He was, uh, <laughs> he was over during the sandpit by about 20 years. Roy Keane, uh, that interview with Roy Keane, I don't know if anyone's seen this press conference, uh, where he effectively refuses to answer any questions. Uh, what had happened was, apparently he'd had a scuffle with an autograph hunter in Ireland on a Friday night, and this press conference just descends into hell because these journalists are trying to get answers out of him. And all he keeps saying is, they say, oh, um, Martin O'Neill described the situation, uh, Roy, as a, as a distraction. He goes, well, it's not a distraction to me, so I'm not going to comment on it. <laughs> I say, well, but would you like to clarify that this took place? I'm not answering that question. They go, but Martin O'Neill does think it's a distraction. He goes, have you asked Martin O'Neill that? You wouldn't ask him that. But mate, just say, nothing's gone on. Like, you're creating more of an issue. You just think, maybe it's just like this all the time. I would hate to go out on a date with Roy Keane. So, Roy, uh, what would you like for dinner? I'm not answering that question. I don't think it's any of your business. What my favourite food is, actually. Would you like wine with your meal, sir? Would you ask Martin O'Neill that, would you? You're a brave man. What's your favourite film? I think I said enough about my favourite films already. I'm not getting into this. But as you ask, Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon. I think it's a lovely film. The Qatar World Cup, I have to say, continues to absolutely boil... The amount of stuff that keeps getting revealed about Qatar and it's still going to be hosted there is ridiculous. So first they got it and everyone said, this is great, we'll spread football to a part of the world that's never had it before. It'd be a great... Uh, progressive streak across the Middle East. You know, it will really um, 
do some good for the region. And then people said, oh, no, actually, we're still having the World Cup, but you, if you, you can't come here if you're gay. <laughs> and FIFA went, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, OK, so just maybe don't be gay for a month. Uh, but they're still having the World Cup. And then they said, oh, it's too hot to have it here now. Uh, we're going to have to have it during the winter, and we're going to have to air-condition the streets. <laughs> and FIFA said, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah, no worries. I mean, we've already signed it off. So uh, I'm just going to get to the point now where they're going to go, yes, the stewarding contract has been awarded to ISIS. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, they'll keep order. <laughs> People won't muck about, will they? God, well, I mean, it's going to get to such a point out there. It's going to get ridiculous. Like, even the post-match interviews are going to be affected. Well, I mean, that was the thing. After he celebrated that second goal and took his shirt off, I mean, we just lost our heads, but that is the penalty for nudity out here. <laughs> Have you saw Cristiano Ronaldo? That, I've never been a fan of him. He's brought out a new range of underpants. Um, and shirts. Uh, it was in the Daily Mail this week. And I've got some of the, uh, some of the press release here. Some of the nonsense he's come out with. And this is all in Ronaldo's name. Um, firstly, the press release says, the Portugal captain recently became the highest scorer in European Championship football history and felt that releasing a new line of underpants was the logical next step. <laughs> I mean, who can forget the famous Jeffers jockstrap of 1966? <laughs> Really was the logical next step to that. Um, at least he could have had some decency and called it a thong for Europe. <laughs> but didn't bother. Um, I love the way that he's tried to dress up. Like, all he's doing is saying, I'm catching in on my fame here and I'm going to release some underpants. But he tries to dress it up as if though he's on some sort of mission. He says, I've always believed you can be the best you can be. And the perfect fitting underpants are the first step to becoming the best version of yourself. <laughs> It's like the new Mandela. A journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And thanks to these figure-hugging Y-fronts, I can walk with ease. <laughs> an eye for an eye and the world would be blind, which would be a real tragedy, because they wouldn't be able to see how good I look in these new skin-tight underpants. <laughs> uh, what a legend. Uh, the biggest legends, I have to say, as usual, whenever there's a sports story, the best place to go to is the Daily Mail website and read some of the comments. Um, Roger Federer and his Swiss... And I still can't get his name right. Varanka. Warinka? How do you say it? Vafrinka. Is that what you said, Vianetta? I don't know what his name is. Well, it's not Stan, is it? I'm not that stupid. Oh, that's his first name. Yeah. Turns out I am. <laughs> um, but then a row, because Federer's wife apparently heckled his opponent when he was about to serve, and he was match point up, and she said, oh, he always chokes. Um, so that was a naughty laugh. I think you misunderstood what I meant by that. He, uh, they gave him some... She was undermining him on court, effectively. Um, and this has led to a big row between Federer and himself. Uh, some of the comments on the Daily Mail website, this is incredible. This is the first one from Keith. He says, actually, it's well known that the Swiss women wear the pants in the family. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's really well known, Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, what do you know about Switzerland? Uh, they were neutral during the Second World War. Uh, they have a very mountainous region, famous for their chocolate, and the women are absolute pieces of work. <laughs> I don't think that's a well-known fact at all. <laughs> this guy in America says, uh, Merka needs to keep her opinions to herself. Hecklers keep on ruining this sport. <laughs> is tennis well I don't think tennis is well-known for heckling. <laughs> this, is, this is one of my favourite ones. This is really, really uh, nasty. It's from a guy called Init. He says... Uh, I always thought that Fed dropped his serve by marrying this bird. She looks like she's haunted by the world's toughest childhood paper round. It's a very specific diss, isn't it? Bluter in Edinburgh says, 31,000 people died in the UK last winter from being cold. 
think you've walked into the wrong conversation, mate. <laughs> this, this one is incredible, right? This is, in these politically correct times, brace yourself. He says, a ten-minute row. Oh, this was it. Apparently, Federer and his missus had had a ten-minute row afterwards. A ten-minute row? Me and the missus don't even call that a row nowadays unless it lasts for an hour and ends with angry sex. <laughs> it's from a Jay Terry in Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> what a legend. Uh, the England band as well, the Ireland game. I felt very sorry for the England, uh, official England supporters band, and I don't often say that because they, they, I don't like them. Uh, but they started playing a, a chant, uh, a song, and uh, some England fans chanted different words to the song uh, that were sectarian and that were deeply disrespectful. Uh, and the FA now is considering severing its links with the England supporters band. And you're like, you can't tell them off. If they start playing just a tune that isn't offensive and people put offensive words over the top of it, that's not their fault, is it? And equally, football chants aren't meant to be politically correct. If they were, none of us would sing them. They would be awful. If you, start, if you change some of the best-known chants, as a Forest fan, if people went, if I had the wings of a sparrow... Well, they wouldn't be Cockneys for stars. <laughs> if I had the wings of a sparrow and I had the arse of a crow, I'd fly over Pride Park tomorrow. Just enjoy the view. <laughs> you really can't see for miles up there. In fact, we've got more in common with Derby than we thought. I'm going to stop slagging him off. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, our first guest tonight is someone who is uh, an icon uh, of English football. Uh, Wimbledon. Are there any Wimbledon fans in, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, any Sheffield United fans in? <laughs> Bit of a stretch, really, on a, a sort of London on a Thursday night. Um, Forest fans. <laughs> Don't want to turn into dapper laughs as a result of uh, seeing some forest boys. Uh, Watford? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two reluctant Watford fans down in front. Well, this could be a predominantly forest evening, so uh, apologies to everyone else, but this, is, uh, this may well uh, descend into fandom. Uh, he has been promoted countless times, including two back-to-back -back promotions with two different clubs. He took Wimbledon from the fourth tier of English football to the first in, I think, just four years. Took Sheffield United from the third to the first and was the last manager to get Nottingham Forest promoted to the Premier League. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive welcome for a legend of English football, Mr Dave Bassett. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Okay. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> um, now we, I sort of feel like I need to start with Wimbledon, really, because it was incredible. But not, not only was the achievement incredible to go from the fourth division to the first division in such a short space of time, but the players you were dealing with were absolutely crackers. <laughs> like you had, like you presided over, like the, the crazy gang really started on your watch, didn't it? Like who was the of all of the players, who was the maddest? Well, it started when, as I say, when I became manager, I sort of wanted team spirit and uh, a non-league sort of basis because uh, uh, Wimbledon weren't the most salubrious of places <laughs> and, um, you know, the training ground, so you had to have spirit. But uh, we'd, I was doing the reserve side and I had yeah, young people in the reserves like Wally Downs, Alan Cork, Glyn Hodges, Mark Morris, Dave Besson were all in the reserves and we, we sort of created it. And when I was at, uh, manager, we had that. I mean, you know, Wally was definitely the maddest. You know, without doubt. So what, what made him madder than the others? He is mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, he actually has been sanctioned. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very sorry tale. 
Well, Wally's very sharp, he's got a good brain, and he's a, he, he was a strong character in the dressing room, he's got a good sense of humour. He can be very acid and, uh, you know, can be very sarcastic, And uh, but he, he created a spirit, you know, he, he, he loves that. And I mean, the rest of the boys joined in. They were, you know, Besson, uh, Gary Peters, who had come from Fulham, was a... You know, right nutter as well, really. Um, did we had, uh, you know, Mark Morris? We had the different people, Stevie Galliers at that particular time, Steve Ketteridge, Alan Cork, uh, Glenn Hodges. You know, they they blended in and they got together and they, they what they did is they enjoyed one another's company and they used to go out and socialise uh, in the week. You know, it was where they'd go down into Kingston and uh, have a few beers and you know try and pull a few birds and go out for etc. And uh, you know have a have a good night out and um, you know might have a fight as well if it suited them. <laughs> was that something you actively encouraged, a sort of a bonhomie and and something you know going out drinking and socialising and building as a unit? Yeah, yeah, we, I did. It was something that we wanted to, you know. I sort of mentored Wally in a way to do it, and I wanted it to, uh, to give him his first drink. Yeah, I mean, when I was at Wimbledon and I would play for Walton and Hersham, which was amateur, we used to have a real good time with the team. And I was captain, and I used to get the players, and we used to go and have a Chinese or an Indian or go out and you know bowling everything else. So it was something bowling. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the start before we went and got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> It, just, um, it feels like the footballers couldn't do that these days. You know, you wouldn't hear of them, not in the same way. They wouldn't go out in normal pubs en masse as a team, would they? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, but there's a lot of difference now on that. But I've, I, I think there's one or two teams in the, uh, you know, like second division, you know, I know that sort of still treat themselves as a youth, as a football team in a non-league basis. That when they play away from home, you know, they get the fish and chips and a crate of beers on the... Uh, bus on the way out. On the way there. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> that was Wimbledon and Brian Clough as well. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it was something that you did. But what happened is the players did realise there was a serious side that when we were training and we were playing, that then that was the, not the time to mess about. But we, you know, it was good to create stuff down the training ground, you know, and everything else. You, you know, when I was a player and I first went to Wimbledon, Dickie Guy, you know, bless him, you know, Dick used to come and, you know, he had a tie and a jacket, Wimbledon jacket and all this and I come from Walton with the other boys and Alan Batts would, you know, let us more or less turn up what we wanted to wear and Dick used to be there and a couple of the other lads and he started to get the ump when I nailed his shoes to the wall and, <laughs> uh, you know, then cut his tie and his jacket up. And, had, had you split up with him, hadn't you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. It was funny, one day he said, Oi, come on, me and you in the kit room, I want to work with you. So I'm in there, he said, come on, we're going to have it out, you're taking the piss out of me all the time. I said, no, it's a bit of a laugh and everything else. And we started giggling. And then Dick become a lunatic himself, you know. <laughs> I was in the toilet uh, doing some business and all of a sudden he's come over the top with a load of carbolic and everything else, pouring it all over. <laughs> <laughs> and that, so I woke him you know, a lad who was really a nutter who was trying to be Mr Sensible. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something we created and the players did. It was these things when Besson joined us from uh, uh, Edgware, we paid £1,000 for him. And he turned up on a motorbike and... Dave hadn't read his contract because his first contract, you know, you, you're not allowed motorbikes, you know, etc. <laughs> so he's come off, said to Wally, uh, motorbike's got to be gone. So when he come out, he left it, all his levers outside and they'd filled all that up with talcum powder and his helmet <laughs> and everything else. And, uh, you know, they'd let his tyres down and uh, everything else and uh, then threw his bike in the canal. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did he take it well? He didn't have much option. He couldn't <laughs> swim. <laughs> uh, 
and that. But it was it was something that we 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 did. It was to, to create, and you know, a lot of it was good fun, and you know, wanted players to come and laugh and enjoy work. They were all up to sort of things and everything else. I mean, it was one of those. But but there was a serious side as we were coming through that we wanted to be successful, and um, and we allowed the things to go. I mean, people think of the crazy gang was when Vinny came, when Fash came, and Dennis Wise and that. Yeah. Well, that that had been going six years. They they sort of came in and was part and parcel of it. It was a it was quite a hard school. Some people found it difficult to come in because if they, their personalities were such, if you showed any weaknesses, then all of a sudden you know they were going to expose you to it. You didn't need to say I, I ate swimming because if we went swimming, you got drowned. <laughs> <laughs> you had great success at Wimbledon as well. It's partly due to the fact was that the culture at a lot of football clubs at the time that alcohol was far more involved and socialising was far oh, more. Yeah, normal. yeah, the top level all the way down. You know there was a, there was a lot more drinking and. You know, the end of season tours to Magaluf and places like that were, you know, riotous sort of thing. Um, people did. They, they drunk more, you know, they played on a Saturday and they went in out and had a really good drink on a Saturday night and Sunday and they drunk more. The, the thing is, it, there's no, no harm. There's a, uh... It's good for you. <laughs> that's moderation, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Well, it's like the 5-2 diet, but with booze. Yeah. <laughs> well, you went out and just a minimum of ten pints or you, were, you wasn't a drunk, was you? <laughs> Did you sort of feel pressure to lead the charge as the boss? Well, some of the time I enjoyed. When I mean, in fairness, I, the way I managed was quite difficult because I knew them and I'd grown up and I'd sort of played with them in the reserves. Mm. So there was this period when we went out where, to be fair, they took the piss out of me and vice versa, and I didn't sort of try and pull on the boss lad, you know, we there. But when they all of a sudden knew that it was work time, then I was the gaffer and, you know, what went said that particular time. So they were very good at knowing the demarcations. There was a couple of times where they got out of order and everything, and I took retribution by sending them for a six-mile run around Richmond Park. So, uh, <laughs> so the ones who hated that used to make to shut up and tell the others to shut up and, and get on with the work or such. It's such a romantic period for me, the 80s football. It was when I first started becoming aware of football and it felt like it was the last era when football was still normal and closer to the people and the dawn of the Premier League slightly changed that. 80s football, when I watch it back on YouTube or on videos, oh, forest clips, just feel, it somehow feels more wholesome. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's different in now that they're protected health and safety and, you know, the players there. I mean, the Wimbledon players, after a game, used to go in Nelson's nightclub, which Ron Nodes had sorted out and everything else, and we were with the fans. All the players were having a drink after, and it was, it was part and parcel where the club was there, and the fans were very, very involved, you know, and it was a period that we created that. that was Again, they were part of the club. Um, and that was something we set out to do to, to get the right. It was a small club. We wanted everybody involved in, 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 in a way that we were all pulling together. You got uh, Wimbledon promoted four times. It was initial promotion, then you came back down, and then you went on that incredible period where it was back-to-back promotions, then yeah. the season, then uh, promoted. What, what fascinates me about you is that you've had two spells of back-to-back promotions, one at Wimbledon and one at Sheffield United. I think there's only so much can be explained, really, by confidence, and only so much can, you know, your sides at Wimbledon were known for route one long ball football. Yeah. But there's obviously something more about you that is... You have an extra skill that other managers don't have in terms of almost specialising specifically in promotion. Do you, I mean, what is it? 
Well, I mean, you work. I mean, you've got to have the belief, because nobody believed that Wimbledon could come from where they wanted. But you, you set yourself a target, and you say, I'm going to go for it. I didn't know whether we could go there. I was going to make sure that we believed. But what I had to do was make sure the players knew that I believed. If they didn't think I could believe we could get promotions and do well, then there was no chance of them doing it. So they knew that I had this belief, and I felt we could do it. And I said to them, I sold it to them, and said, listen, if we if we stick to ourselves and we, we were a better team than people will ever give us credit for, mm. um, and they were good players, and they were all strong characters, and they all wanted to win. And so the fact it was, when it came together, they knew it was in their best interest to stick together and do the job, was it? And they and I got them to believe in what they were doing. In actual fact, we, we, we only went long ball in the early days when I was there with Alan Baxford and the bits there. But when we were top of the league in the fourth division, as it was, we'd got promoted when I first took over in the January 1981. We were 13th in the fourth division, and we finished third. And I thought, Christ, it's easy. How all these managers get a sack? It's a piece of piss. Uh, a year later, we got relegated. Well, no, this ain't quite as easy as we thought it was. But we then changed, and the team was then very young. It was Besson. Um, Gary Peters came in from Fulham, who was a real leader. We had Mark Morris. We had... Uh, um, Steve Ketridge, Galliers, Wally Downs, Glenn Hodges, uh, um, uh, Corky. And we were actually playing a sweeper system. We, I'd seen Italy playing the 1990 World Cup and we played a sweeper and we were top of the league. But then we was going a little bit wonky and I felt we, we were playing a bit defensive with this sweeper that we could go more direct. So we had a break, like a two-week break, and I sold it to the players that I wanted to change it. I wanted to play... 4-4-2, we was going to go direct, we were going to get it up there and we were going to train on it and, you know, either you, are you with me or you're not. If you're not with me, I fully understand, go and find another club, but if you're there, we're going to go this route and, and they, give it credit, a few of them had doubts, but they got on with it and we, we did well, we went and won at Darlington the first game and then we won at Northampton the second game and, of course, that gave them the confidence and then we just piled on to win the league. And what we did is we carried on the momentum. We went up a league. Nigel Winterburn came into the team then. Brian Gale came into the team. Kevin Gage came into the team. Southern from the youth team. And the momentum was on. And we came second at the end of that year. So what we did, we knew, we knew exactly what we were doing. You know, we knew that the system that we were playing, everybody knew their jobs. And gradually, as that the team, the players knew. And, and really, they managed themselves to some extent. Because if somebody wasn't doing their job they were getting bollocked by the rest of the team or there'd be arguments, etc. Um, in terms of it, I mean, I, 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 it wasn't one of those years. I know there's one year where we, we came in and uh, we weren't getting enough crosses into the box and, and, and Hodges and Downs were the main culprits because they were dallying on the ball. And Corky's come in and he's taken his shoes off and slung them on the floor. He said, Harry, take me off. He said, if they, he said I'm f***ing shit when they play the ball to me feet. He said, if they don't put the ball in the box, you might as well get rid of me. I said, well, you're spot on, Corky. Yeah, they ain't doing it. So I've given Downs and... Hodges are bollocking and told them they've got ten minutes. If the crosses don't come in, they're going to get substituted. <laughs> Courtney put his boots on and went out. And uh, Wally and Hodge obviously had the ump, but they'd got bollocking. The crosses were flying in like grease lightning. <laughs> Courtney was, and was, you know, he was getting on the end of that, you bald-headed <laughs> <laughs> you had obviously a lot of big characters. I mean, do they fight amongst themselves a lot? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the funny part was Wally proper did, fights, fist fights. Uh, well, um, yeah, there was there was a few little dust ups in training, you know, uh, um, with it. Um, there was never uh, out of order or anything, but they were feisty and and they were they were very direct with one another. You know, they they criticised one another. They they wanted to be successful. They knew the way we played. Um, 
was going to put teams under pressure and we were going to play at a high tempo and everything else, which they didn't like. We want No team's going to come and play us and have an easy ride at all whatsoever. And we were good at what we did. The, it's all explained, you know, even in those days, people talk. You know, I had a guy who used to, uh, at home, I've got him, we paid 11,000 quid for a load of videos, or, I mean, machines that were massive. <laughs> and he was working on our tapes that we used to have, our games taped, we used to have, a, and he was cutting up the tapes. So I was showing the players in 1980, early 80s, video, you know, etc. We had a guy who analysed where we won the ball, where we lost the ball, and everything else. And the big thing we found out, that when you lose it in their third, you don't get too many goals going in. You lose it in your third, and it usually ends up in the next. So <laughs> even the thickest player can sometimes understand that works. Uh, Did you manage many exceptionally thick players? Because there is... You, people are quite... Di- disrespectful of footballers, aren't they? And I think footballers get a hard time, but obviously you've been on the inside of it. They can't be thicker than the rest of us, can they? No, no, you get get one or two. There was this boy, Peter Brown, who was signed from Chelsea, and he was at fault for a goal. He he didn't play so many, Peter. He's a lovely fellow. And we showed him on the video. He said, it f***ing ain't me. And I said, well, who the f*** is it then? (laughs) It certainly ain't me. And, of course, he, he, he got plenty, but... No, no. No, to be fair, all the boys I had, Besson's still involved. He coaches at Stevenage now. He had a great career, didn't he? Went to Newcastle, played in the Premier League. Kevin Gage has now got his own pubs in Sheffield. He's done extremely well. Nigel Winterburn went to the Arsenal, did brilliant. Mm. Played for England. He does television. Brian Gale packed up. He's got his own... Uh, building business in Sheffield. Andy Thorne ended up managing Coventry. He was chief scout at Everton, etc. There, Sancho still about. Vinny's thick as shit and fucking multi-millionaire. And, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 why is he captain Chelsea? Glyn Hodges is now coach at uh, with well, it's Mark Hughes, the Welsh. He's at Stokings with Mark. Everything else. Mm-hmm. Cork is now working for, scouting for Roy Hodgson and England and everything else. And, Fashes uh, doing who wants to be a millionaire in Nigeria, him. <laughs> so, out of that team, and, and you know, all that team, yeah, Besson got sold for a million pounds, Andy Thorne for a million pounds, Winterburn went for 300,000, Nodges 300, Boisey 1.6, uh, Vinnie 660, Fash 1.5, uh, Gagey to Villa for 350, Gailey to Man City for 350. Unfortunately for Sanch and Corky, they got left behind. <laughs> um, you took that um, sort of riotous spirit to Sheffield United where, again, you had back-to-back promotions with them. One of my earliest childhood memories is, is of you in your underpants. Yeah. Um, I remember I was Ronaldo, that was great. I was a forerunner for that. Yeah, I just remember, yeah, it was the first copy, I think it was Match or Shoot magazine I had, and there's a picture of you in like the tiny white pants. Yeah, diabolical, when... weren't they? They were the ones we had in the club and everything else. So it was the end of the season and we'd, yeah. we'd got off and all the fans come on and one of them's, you know, on there, I've thrown me sweatshirt in my shirt and then I slung my boots in and my socks and then one's decidedly come and rip my shorts off and uh, I was left there and the wife said, God, you look diabolical. Cold day though, wasn't it? <laughs> End of season, the summer was dying. So. Yeah, don't, don't do me any favours, that one. Well, you, I mean, you, your promotion record is exceptional. Uh, did you ever... Well, firstly, at any point, did you ever want the job? But secondly, do you think you were ever... Uh, in line to get the England job? No, no, I was never in line to get the England job, I swear too much, and uh, I, I, I'm too autocratic and I, I'm too, uh, uh, you know, argumentative and, uh, you know, the, not, I don't fit the bill for the England job, you know, I mean, I don't think I was considered, I'd have loved the England job because I think it's a piece of cake, you've only got to play six or seven games and get three million. <laughs> <laughs> 
the best season I can remember as a Forest fan, well, the last great season I can remember as a Forest fan was 97-98 when you were manager and we ran away with the league title. Pierre van Hooydonk was up front with mm. Kevin Campbell. It was just such a remarkable... The most powerful Forest side, the last great Forest side, really. Um, I mean, that season... Was, was remarkable as a result of Van Hooydonk, but things went difficult with him, didn't they, when he, the yeah. following season, went on strike. Um, have you ever experienced that with a player before? I, I would say Van Hooydonk, in my opinion, uh, is the biggest prick I've ever come across. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say I'd bet him against Beckham on free kicks. Oh, definitely. He, he was brilliant. From range as well. Yeah, he never missed a penalty till uh, way after that, and he was a cool cucumber on, on that respect. But we we had Steve Stone, who was our work. He was great. Chris Bart Williams, uh, who was there, and Woney, Money Woney. Was he a Mona or was he in Woney? Oh, not much, yeah. <laughs> you know, he had great skill, but he just didn't like running about, you know. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a problem being a footballer. <laughs> and, um, you know, we then had uh, Cooper and Chettle. Des Little. Yeah, Des. Yeah, Des was a good lad. You know, a bit lacking on terms of some of the techniques at the time, but they were a good bunch of lads. I mean, it was an odd year because we were expected to come back, and we needed the team to be strengthened. And actual fact, I knew that. I mean, I'd been promised if we got up that there was going to be about eight million quid for players, which don't sound much, but when you're talking '98, we'd spent about six the previous year to bring Alan Rogers in and uh, Andy Johnson and that. So I thought, but when the reality, the end of the season come, you know, Vian Oydon was saying we got to get better players. Well, yeah, I knew that we needed some more players to come It was in. Vim Yonk, wasn't it, I think, yeah, specifically? Yeah, that yeah was he meant wanted to be. Vim Yonk. He wasn't my cup of tea. There was other players I was after. But he went to the World Cup in France. <laughs> anyway, he, 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 what happened is Ronald De Boer and Frank De Boer went on stroke at, uh, strike at Bar, uh, Barcelona, if you remember. Yeah. So Pierre wouldn't come back because we hadn't signed anybody. Um, and, yeah, we wanted players. And then what happened is I was going away and the board sold Kevin Campbell behind my back. Mm. And, of course, Pierre went apeshit, as well as I did, you know. Um, and, and he decided he was going on strike and wouldn't come back. So, all of a sudden, Campbell's gone to Turkey, and so it was a crap start. And then Cooper had to go. Instead, with the rea- instead of the reality of eight, eight million being sent on players, there had to be five million raised for the board mm. because the shares and all the bits and politics behind. So, of course, you know, after all that hard work to get up, it was, it was very difficult, and he wouldn't come back. And, of course, it was a problem because... We said to him, come back and we'll sell you straight away because Leeds were sniffing around, you know, and they were, they, were, they were prepared to pay about six or seven million. So if we could have done that, we'd have had some money to, to go and do some players. But he wouldn't come back and it, it, was, it was a problem. So eventually, of course, the board wanted him back because there he was sitting in Holland, you know, an investment worth X amount of pounds and it wasn't helping us one way or other. What was he like then to deal with that in a, in a changing room? Could you get through to him, or he was just was he completely aloof and, and, and almost completely mad? Well, he was just he, he was he was difficult. Pierre would moan one day we trained too long, one day we didn't train long enough. The grass was too short one day, too long the next. The ball was too hard the one day, too hard, too soft the next way. I mean, sometimes and he was so selfish. If you were working on certain aspects and it wasn't him. He just wasn't interested. I used to say to Mick, go over and let Pierre practice his uh, free kicks and you tell him about the great one you scored for Coventry at Wigan and this, that and the other. <laughs> and that really piss him off. <laughs> 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 and he wasn't that good a player. Like, he, he was all right in a good team. If the team could get the ball to him and all that, he didn't run about that much. He wasn't, you know, wasn't going to be a lone front player by himself because he wanted to be in a team. I mean, his record in the Premier League crap. What was um, Alan Rogers like? Because I, I heard a story about um, a flight to Sweden where 
he got on the yeah. tannoy and shouted, Mayday! Mayday! And then was, was then detained at um, a Swedish airport before a pre-season yeah, tour. Yeah, Alan was, yeah, he's a character of Scouser. He was a good lad, Alan, you know. Um, to be fair, he used to give Pierre some stick, but I don't think Pierre understood what he was on about. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he did. He got on there and uh, we'd gone circle round or something and he... Uh, We've been here before! Mayday! Mayday! <laughs> so the air stewardess has got the ump and the captain wasn't too happy. And, uh, and when we got to the other end, Alan was dragged off. And uh, um, what, what was Steve Chettle like? Steve was a very good lad. He's a forest lad. Um, I like Steve. He got on with a job. Um, was he a bit of a hothead? No, no. I remember no. he had a go at me when I was a kid. Really? I've never forgotten this. It was that season, right? I used to go and watch the... As a kid, I used to come down and watch the Forest team train on the yeah. training ground when you were manager, right? And, um, and uh, I would get all the team's autographs and everything. And then one day went down to the training ground and the team weren't there. So we walked back to the stadium. They said, oh, they're training on the pitch. Yeah. They're training in the stadium. I thought, oh, wonderful. So me and my mate Ralph went in and I'd made myself a packed lunch. And um, <laughs> so I sat there eating these ham sandwiches that I'd made myself. And um, <laughs> Liam O'Kane comes over and goes, oh, lads, would you mind... Because the balls are going into the stand, would you mind yeah. chucking the balls onto the pitch? Like, oh, wow, Liam O'Kane's asked, we've got a job. Maybe we'll work here forever. I can leave school. You'll work for Forest for the rest of your life. And then we're just walking around the stands, just chucking the balls over, and I could hear someone screaming, going, hey, you, like, effing and blinding, effing and blinding. I was like, what's going on? Turned around, and Steve Chettle was stood on the touchline, screaming at me. And what had happened was I'd thrown a ball down, and it had gone to the edge of the penalty area, and the opposing team had taken a goal kick when it was meant to be a corner. Oh. And I'll never forget to this day, Marco Pascolo, yeah, uh, who was the number two yeah, goalkeeper, yeah. the Swiss, he was just looking at me and he just kept saying, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was going, it's all right, it's all right, it's fine. And Chet was going, ah, it's... And, like, Steve's done that to calm him down. He's going, well, just... Liam O'Kane asked me to do it and I've made my own sandwiches. And I was, <laughs> it was horrific. Was it? Yeah. I've never forgotten. I remember seeing him in a queue in Greg's in the Victoria Centre a few years later and I thought, do I or don't I? I do remember. I said to Steve, tell that little bastard. <laughs> 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 but the first time I met him, I was a kid, but there was this tournament. I need to get this off my chest, Dave. There was... I can see that. <sighs> <laughs> this has all been leading to this point. There was a tournament in Nottingham for, like, primary schools where you had, you'd play a five-a-side tournament and you could have your team photo taken with either two Forest players or two Notts County players. And one year it was Brian Laws and Steve Chettle. It was been like 1991. And you had a team photo with him. And I was a Forest fan. I was a member of the Junior Reds. Very proud to be. And uh, I said, oh, hi, Steve. I said, uh, I'm, a member, I'm a member of the Junior Reds. And he just went, I'm not. <laughs> Oh, all right. okay. And then the sad thing is, and my mum still shows this photo. You've got like a five-a-side team of like quite athletic lads beaming that they're next to Forest Road. Just like one really unhappy fat kid on the edge. So. That's just so miserable. And the shirt's too tight. It's probably too many homemade sandwiches. But it just chettle. So I just thought maybe like obviously twice bitten. No, to be fair, Steve wasn't, you know, he wasn't a knothead at all, really. It was just me that brought it out. Yeah, you obviously must have affected it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the tragedy was at Forest, obviously, he got us promoted, and it was an amazing season. Um, it then didn't last so long in the, in the Premier League. It must no. have been difficult to get a side promoter, to feel that you've worked really hard with them, and then and then not be backed when things go difficult. Yeah, no, it was, it was difficult. I mean, I, I looked at it, and I mean, at the start of the season, I thought, blimey, what am I, I should have gone. You with me, really? But you didn't think, well, I've got the job, I've got to get on with it. But, of course, it was very difficult. And I brought Neil Shipley, and who had a mayor. <laughs> you with me? He'd done brilliant for me at, at uh, Crystal Palace. And then later, when I went to Barnsley, I bought him from Forest. 
and he did brilliant for me at Barnsley. He took us to the playoff final. You hear me? Yeah. He just won them. And Dougie Friedman came as well. Yeah, I remember. And, and I remember we were winning three games, two nil at half time. In each game, Dougie had a one-on-one with a goalkeeper within ten minutes of the second half, where we could have, each of those three games where we could have gone three nil up, and we ended up drawing all them three games to all. If we'd have got it, we'd have got another like six points, which would have been important that stage um, for us. But of course, you know, without Pierre and without Kevin, Kevin was the main one. I'd have got rid of Pierre, Kevin, because Kevin was quick and he got behind people. Massive thighs, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I never. Pre- I remember meeting him once and just thinking, they're the biggest legs I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> they're really fat legs, weren't they? Oh, he was strong. Kevin was strong and he was quick and everything else. I like Kevin. He was a good player. Dave, uh, it's been fascinating. The time's flown by already. Uh, in the second half, we shall find out what's in Dave's bag. Uh, that sounds like a one-off feature, doesn't it? <laughs> Coming up next, what's in Dave's bag? Um, and then uh, we've got two wonderful guests in the second half, Diddy David Hamilton and John Richardson. Um, for the time being, ladies and gentlemen, please show your appreciation for the legend, Dave Bassett. <laughs> Someone's had a drink. Crikey, what happened in that half-time break? People have gone bananas. This is brilliant. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, um, we've got uh, three guests uh, in this half, so please, firstly, welcome back Mr Dave Bassett. I should sit there, Dave. That's right, mate. Cheers. Uh, and now, uh, our second guest uh, this evening uh, is a comedian. Uh, you may have seen him I've got this for you. Eight out of ten cats in the smash hit show, John Richardson Grows Up. Uh, please. <laughs> it's not meant to be funny. Uh, <laughs> please welcome to the stage, Mr. John Richardson. <laughs> Can I hand, mate? There you go. There you go. Make yourself at home. Hi. Tidy enough? It's not bad, is it? No, it's lovely. Um, Thanks for mentioning Have I Got News For You. They haven't booked me for three years. (laughs) Well, I thought this might help. It's gone downhill, hasn't it, as a programme? They book anyone now. I've been on it. Um, (laughs) uh, Now, John, a lot of people might not know this to look at you, but you you actually play quite a lot of sport at school. (laughs) You were good at rugby? Yeah, well, I played rugby at school, yeah. I was all right. I, I, I was on the wing. I was fast. Fast but shit. (laughs) <laughs> That's what they called me. I was slow but shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Worst of both worlds. I think we played you. <laughs> uh, but you got into football. You're a Leeds United fan. Yes. Do you struggle with it? Because you're like famously quite a deeply moral person. And I imagine you struggle with modern football anyway. But of all the clubs for you to support, they're the least politically correct club in the planet. Well, let's not go that far. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I'm in the cheek of you pretending that tennis hasn't been ruined by heckling after your behaviour at Queen's last year. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You know as well as anyone the sort of louts that go to tennis these days. I didn't want Andy Murray to win, and I thought it was legitimate to cheer on Joe Wilfred Songer. At Queen's, in the midst of chants for Andy Murray. I'll just go, come on, Joe! You're a hooligan. (laughs) But no, there aren't any football clubs that don't have troubled past, do they? Leeds was perhaps the most recent club to have a major incident, <laughs> shall we say. 
<laughs> well, historically, they were known as dirty leaves, weren't they? So even when you your dad's day, they were controversial. Why have you done this to me? You ask me on as a favour. I come here, I come here as a friend. So you? You accuse me of inciting racial hatred across this country. <laughs> the cheek of it. No, well, I, you know, I, as a fan, you, you, you obviously... You know, that's not why I'm a Leeds fan. I didn't see that developing in thought. Do you know, I can really connect with this. This chasing Asian lads through town centres is really what I believe about sport. <laughs> you obviously, you support football in spite of stuff like that, in the same way you support politics, in support, you know, despite some decisions that parties you like make. OK, let's move on. Um, uh, we were talking before the break, uh, Dave, about how difficult it is to be a manager at a, you know, a turbulent club and Leeds at the moment with uh, Chilino and everything that's going on there. It seems particularly dreadful. I mean, is, is he a chairman that you would want to work for? No, no, no way. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's come in, he's, he's decides, but in, in Italy, the chairmans and the presidents pick the players and the manager more or less has to get on with it. That's the way it is, and they accept that uh, in Italy. Um, so you know what you're going to get, and there's going to be more and more chairmen that come in with a different culture that, uh, than the English. But, of course, now some of the English chairmen are getting as trigger-happy as, as the uh, foreign people. They picked up the habit. But, you know, you've got to take into account. But for me, you know, it's just impossible to work for a guy like Cellino. You know, there's a crisis just round the corner, isn't there, because he's completely unrealistic. Well, expects from the team and the players and um, it's different if you're Abramovich and you put all that money in and everything else then you say I've given you every tool well you know he's not there Leeds were in a state weren't they before he took over and I remember you wanting him to just get the deal done and, and take over well it's a sad sign of the times at Leeds that Cellino is the best chairman we've had for a long time you know he's not connected to hideous you know financial dealings in the in the far east and middle east and he's not Peter Ridsdale and he's not Ken Bates so do you know what? The guy's all right. He wears a leather jacket and he likes a pint. And at the moment, that is pretty damn good. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to say that you don't want to work with him because you will get offered the job at some point. We're on about, we're on about two weeks of manager at the moment, yeah, 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 so I yeah. think you're due for about May. Yeah, in. but I'll probably, you know, get the sack on the way up. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds was one of those places you, you went and, you know, it was always a hard place. You knew if you were at Leeds... It was, you know, difficult to go there and teams didn't like going there because it's ferocious. I mean, I played there when Bremner and Giles and Wimbledon wow. and everything else and Lorimer, Eddie Gray, which was a fantastic side and, um, you know, 49,000 locked in there. I think, you know, they beat shit out the Wimbledon, 250 fans who made the journey. <laughs> so they went shopping. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, it was amazing. It really is. It's a, a cauldron there. Whereas, you know, you can go to other clubs with big gates and... It's never quite as intimidating. So, really, from that point of view, you know, they've had a lot to put up with. And they've got great fans, haven't they, Leeds? I'd say they were the best away fans in the country, really. Leeds or Newcastle? I think we've just broken the record this weekend for our away support. Blackburn will be the biggest away support in the Championship is that so right? far this season. How many is that? Six and a half thousand. That's incredible, isn't it? Mm. Oh, yeah, they've got but great There's support. a lot of space knocking around at Blackburn, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> they've got to fill it somehow. But you were up at Ellen Road the other weekend. I was, yeah. The first half against Blackpool was the best half I've seen for years, so I was very excited. Hard game Blackpool, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it, it wasn't the second half. We let them back in the second half. We lost that 1-0, but let's focus on the positives. <laughs> we have a, a young uh, midfielder called Adrian, who is Brazilian, who is the best player that has ever played football. <laughs> that is a fact. Better than Andy Reid. Uh, yeah, dare I say it? Yeah, I don't think he'll have the longevity of Andy Reid. Or the appetite. 
<laughs> <laughs> but no, it was good. It was, it was the first time I've left there in a good mood. The last game I saw there was the last of last season where we lost at home to uh, Doncaster. And uh, that was the end of McDermott, really. Do you, ever, do you ever shout? <laughs> no, 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 at football, I don't mean ever. Like at football grounds, what sort of football fan are you? Because I've been to Forest games here, but I've never been to Leeds. Yeah, I don't really shout much at Forest, and I, you know, if, 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 a lot of the game, I, I do. Uh, I, I don't sing a lot. Um, if, if you know, I see. Like, I don't. I do struggle with at Leeds. We still have stand up. If you hate Man U, goes on at most home games, and it's just a fight we're not involved in anymore. I can't really spare the energy to stand up in support of my hatred for a club who are just in a different league to us now. And it's painful to say it, and obviously, you know, I can understand why there's a hatred there, but you have to sort of play the fight you're in. And it's much more relevant to us to hate other clubs now than it is Man U. It's that sad idea that they don't even know we're doing it anymore. It's just <laughs> we're all stood up and Man United fans are just going about their business, you know. So I, I, I get involved, and I, I get involved in the game, but... I just love the idea of you really losing it at a football match. That's something I'd like to see. Ah, oh, come on, ref! <laughs> what the hell? It was miles off! <laughs> Who's that I'm sat with there? <laughs> I don't Orville, know, but he's, he's touched you somewhere, hasn't he? Crikey. Orville's a Leeds fan, we find out this week. I <laughs> saw we go to that Frotch. We went to a boxing match in America uh, together. Um, Cole Frotch against Andre Ward when Frotch lost. I remember... You constantly battling with your conscience throughout the fight because you would cheer him to punch him, and then you'd go, "Oh God, I'm willing on to punch another man in the face." Yeah, and then you go, "Go on, Carl, go on, Carl." It's like, "Go on, yeah, go on, yeah, yeah." yeah. You were watching me, were you? Not the fight. <laughs> yeah. What sort of egging you on to like really get into it? But I, I just realised how much you struggle with the morality of sport. I think. Well, I don't. I, I mean, with football, it's a lot simpler. I mean, I'm not, you don't. You know, at Leeds, it's sort of taken as read that someone's going to get punched in the face at some point, <laughs> but that's mainly off the pitch. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like it. I mean, you can't help but like a good meaty challenge, can you? And that has, it's changed, hasn't it? I was thinking while you were talking yeah. earlier and you referenced Leeds being the club that were buying everyone. And I think there's the, they call it the Seth Johnson point in football yeah. where something <laughs> changed Johnson, in football yeah. that we would never get back again. But I do, you know, because you were talking about the England job as well and what's <laughs> gone with the England team. And I just think that hope you were talking about is because we have the best league in the world. And we get reminded of that all the time. And you see exceptional football. And if you're honest about how many English players are involved in why that league is good, it's minuscule. And that is a problem. I agree. <laughs> OK. Well, I think we've solved football. I think that's the end of the show. And I asked... Um, I asked both of you to bring something, a piece of football memorabilia or sporting memorabilia that meant uh, something to you. So, John, uh, let's go first. This is a piece of... Well, you say sporting memorabilia. Or whatever I did, it is. I did go through my uh, sort of medal. Uh, I opened up the old trophy cabinet this <laughs> afternoon, dusted off the old... Uh, Whiskey. Her Majesty's Northern School's silver medal, uh, triple jump. And Bollocks. No, I've got that. Well, you won I've it. I've got them as well. I dusted them off earlier. Um, <laughs> no, I've got a silver medal. That's well not done. bad, is it? Cheers, mate. That deserves a round of applause, doesn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> a genuine athlete on the stage. Oh, if you have to ask for it. And then I nearly brought the rugby shirt I was wearing when I did a, a kicking challenge at Twickenham, and I missed all three, and it was one. But I thought in terms of sporting memorabilia that represents me, yeah. it's... Uh, it's my most recent. It's piece a football of... you bought on the way here. <laughs> it's a footballer, but I asked my girlfriend what I should take, and she said, "Why don't you take your little ball?" 
<laughs> says more. That's this is my house football, and I think that says everything about me. Is that I still? I had a, had a busy period recently, and we went out for a day sh- shopping. And I said, let's just go out. We'll go around John Lewis, and we'll you know oh, we'll splash a bit of cash. So we bought some new bedding. Uh, and I needed a new dressing gown, Dave. So I picked up, picked up a new dressing gown. On the way out, I saw this, and I thought, that is my new house football. And I knew that's th- that this ball is made for chipping over the couch into the dining room. Oh, getting itchy feet already. I know, I can see. And oh. I, I, you know, I had to admit to my girlfriend that I was buying it as a house football, and then I took it back to the till... And the man who scanned it said, are you going to have a little game of football in your dressing gown, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Easily one of the most humiliating moments of my life. But I brought it because I knew, because we lived together for two years, and I know you are of the firm belief that any room is enhanced with a football. Oh, yeah, yeah. Knowing now that there's a football in this room is more exciting. Oh, I can feel it right there. I can see it already going in the top corner. People going, this is incredible. We lived together for two years, and we went through about five footballs, (laughs) six shuttlecocks... Everything we owned, you lost. <laughs> I just love kicking stuff hard. <laughs> like, we were... why are you playing around in the back garden? Why would you just pass it to each other? Get on the end of it. That's what they pay you for. We played in a, a sort of suburban, semi-detached house and we had a game of penalty shootouts and I saved one and I could see it drop into him on the half volley. Oh. And I just thought, I hope he has the sense to just tap this one in. And you literally, it went six gardens away. <laughs> it was amazing. Because you are still in your head, that counts as a, a goal. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've never known anyone with such an inability to disconnect the reality of their life from their imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and this ball, I've brought that as a symbol. How many can you do? I remember the time we played um, penalties on the park about a year ago, and I celebrated so loudly at having won that there was a couple getting off with each other on the swings. And I think the fella fell off and they just legged it. <laughs> You're very uh, generous to say a couple getting off. There were two 13-year-olds who, by all rights, should have been the only people in the park at that time of day. Right, Dave, and then wide two... open. Bassett's wide open, isn't it? Ooh, lovely. Oh, Played football with Dave Bassett. <laughs> it's good fun, isn't it? Ooh. Um, Dave. It's one, it's one of those things, you know, when you're there. I, when I had a flat myself... And... Sorry, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, get carried away there. Um, when I had a flat, I had a ball and everything else. When you get married, the wife don't let you have them. <laughs> Well, that's it. You'll get married next year, aren't you? So that ball's yeah, got about... Yeah, that'll be I know, well... <laughs> I'll buy another house. Yeah, I'll go out to the shed. <laughs> I'm training a squirrel up to feed by hand, and then the next is getting him to just side-foot the ball back to me, and then I'll just play in the garden with the, <laughs> with the squirrel. Good idea. Um, Dave, now, these, are, these could be things from... Um, well, I don't... well, when I found out you were a Forest fan... Yeah? I thought I'd bring you the medal, the gold medal we got from the Football League when we won the championship. So nice of you to let me have that, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, look at that. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, Football League. Champions, first division. I'm so glad I went first. (laughs) (laughs) Season 97, 98. Well, they told me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. That's a... Oh, my God. It's not finding something off the Titanic, that, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's proper, like... I can't believe I'm touching it. I was... <laughs> That's going to sound odd on a radio audience. So we'll... <laughs> um, 
I, I remember overwhelmed. I remember going. I remember being in um, Market Square in Nottingham for yeah, the Victory sure. Parade, and I touched the trophy. I remember you sort of like. Um, because I don't know why I don't know why I'm freaking out. But you, you like ran the trophy across the front of the crowd and I touched it and then a mate of mine dared me to shake John Alavielder's hand. Yeah, yeah. And see how long I could keep him shaking hands for. <laughs> About three minutes fifty-three seconds. So I started shaking his hand and went, Oh, pleasure to meet you, mate. He went, Yes, yes. And then I kept shaking his hand and then chatted to the person next to me like that. And he was just stood there. I went, All right, mate. He was going, Yes, yes. And he, I don't think he could speak English very well. well he was Norwegian, wasn't he? You know. Yeah. They're used to that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, that is incredible. That's amazing. That's the winner's medal for the first division. Yeah, last time they won anything. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave, thank you. That's incredible. Do you, do you have, like, a special loft or a special cabinet where you keep all your memories special and medals? Special loft. <laughs> <laughs> You're the guy who's living, got separate rooms for his footballs. I mean, it's not beyond... Have you got like a like yeah a... yeah I've got we got some cabinets in, in my, where my room which is sort of an office and that and so that which I keep certain stuff you know in there and uh, you know the wife uh, the, all my programs and other scrapbooks they're in the garage she won't have them in the house but uh, um, yeah so you know things that you get awarded or received you know manager of the month's awards and things that have happened you know so yeah we got you know one or two there and you know such you know just part and parcel of. Uh, the cabinets. And then around the house, have you got any stuff like framed and mounted, like match-worn shirts or anything like that? No, no, no. I, I, the shirts and that, I always... I gave them away. I never really kept any shirts and that. I, I gave them to friends and things like that. Um, Give them to David James yeah, to get yeah. rid of. I, I, uh, yeah, David James. I mean, I, 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 I have got one shirt which Beckham gave me when I completed a 1,000 games. Alec Ferguson got it with Beckham. He's put to Dave with Beckham. It's, that's framed. But... Um, uh, you know, that, again, that's, that was in my office, but then it got moved because there's just one picture I've got when I was at Watford with Elton John, you know, when, when I joined Watford. That was the only time we were smiling. Uh, <laughs> seven months later, we said cheerio because <laughs> I was a raving success at Watford. Um, but uh, Vinny's, I've got one with Vinny signed, a picture with Vinny, you know, holding Gazza's nuts. And, uh, uh, so that was nice. And, uh, <laughs> you could recreate that with that squirrel. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> he was—he uh, never got booked in his uh, in our promotion season at Leeds. Vinnie no. Jones never got booked, and no, then he went to Wimbledon. And the he can take a chance at Leeds and book him. Would they? <laughs> <laughs> I just think he was a different player. I think Leeds does a lot for players and calms them down. Yeah, when, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. It was uh, one of those. Yeah, no, he was uh, quite easily wound up. And you know, but he loved Leeds. He enjoyed it there. It was, a, it was a good year, and it was a good move by Wilkinson to take him. And then he came to Sheffield United. The, because he won the regular at that particular time. I think Wilco bought one or two other players, and he did a good job for us, because that was the year we we came up with Leeds, and uh, you beat us on goal difference right at the death. You won 1-0 at Bournemouth, and we won 5-2 at Leicester. But we didn't beat Bournemouth up like you did, you know, did you? I did, yeah. I take personal... Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I get violent. I get violent. We beat Bournemouth up. It doesn't sound great, does it, in the history of your football club? You're the guys that beat Bournemouth up. Yeah, yeah, those pensioners took a real battery. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right, it was dead easy. <laughs> <laughs> it 
was funny because we signed Vinny and we had one point from the first four games and, you know, Vinny was going to come and turn it round. Well, 13 games later, we still only got four points from bottom of the league. <laughs> and that, you know, so we had a chat with the lads and said, look, can we forget Europe this year and just stay in the league? And we did and we actually amazed it. We finished 13th in the league at the end of that season. But again, you talk about spirit. We came. We, I think we'd gone... Uh, some teams gone about six or seven games without scoring and we're losing 2-0 at Villa and we scored all the well there was about six and a half thousand shots they all come on the pitch roaring around we scored <laughs> for about ten hours you know <laughs> um, but they kept the faith and as I say it was a, we was bottom of the table at Christmas and normally teams never mm. survive we did it I mean West Brom did it a bit later and everything else and we finished 13th we went on a Tremendous run because the team kept the belief, you know, it was keeping that belief and the faith that you could go on, even when the adversity's there. And then when it turned for us in February, you know, we had a, a, a great run. And we've got a very special uh, final guest for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well known as the voice of, I think, thousands of radio shows and many more TV shows as well. Um, if you guys could just move down. Oh, oh, sorry. oh well, you've selflessly gone on the end there. Um, the voice of many, many radio shows and many TV shows as well. The voice of Fulham Football Club for many years. Please give a massive reception for Diddy, David Hamilton. <laughs> David, hello. Welcome to the show. No. <laughs> You've had a phenomenal career. Um, and before you ended up as the, the voice of Fulham Football Club, in the 70s, you were presenter of Top of the Pops. Um, I mean, there aren't many presenters from that era that are <laughs> still allowed out. I'm the only one they haven't arrested yet. <laughs> it was, what led you then from, from that sort of line of work to, to football? When I first went to Fulham, the chairman was uh, Tommy Trinder, who, of course, as you know, is a comedian, the first host of Sunday Night at the London Palladium. And in his act, he did a lot of gags about Fulham. And, of course, when the team did well, it ruined his act. Uh, but I remember seeing him uh, once live, and I remember one of his jokes, and he said, uh, my wife's got a Fulham bra, plenty of support, but no cups. <laughs> <laughs> You've got an amazing voice. I mean, we've... <laughs> Comedy has moved on a bit since then, hasn't it? I know. <laughs> yes, it has, yeah, yeah. Um, football not, though, apparently. Um, yeah. Uh, your voice is remarkable. Did you, is that a voice that you almost sort of, like, trained, or is that just naturally... I did, I did train it in a way because um, I was a South London boy, really, you know. And, and when I started in radio, you had to talk proper. So um, I, I listened to uh, Pete Murray, who was my, my great hero. I used to listen to him on Radio Luxembourg with the signal coming and going. This is obviously long before everybody's time here. And um, I, I heard him, how he spoke, and I thought, well, if I speak like Pete Murray then um, I'll be OK. And one of the great things is that Pete has become one of my, uh, my best friends. So the man who was my idol, my mentor, if you like, uh, latterly became my mate. Because I get frustrated when you get a matchday announcer and they don't have the right voice for it, or an anchorman on a, a TV sport and they don't. Uh, mm. Adam Smith from Sky Sports does the boxing. I remember reading in a magazine somewhere, they'd overheard him say to a young matchday announcer, you need more richness in your voice. And Adam Smith obviously talks like that, but he puts that richness into his voice, talking about Carl Frotch, who we know can give a real fight to a man like Kessler. And it just adds, you go, God, that is a guy with proper balls. Yeah. 
Like it adds such a, a, a touch of class to it. It's not. It's not just the voice. It's also the things that you say. And uh, there are certain uh, announcers who have unfortunately fallen by the wayside. And there was one guy, match announcer in uh, in Wales. I nearly said the the, the ground uh, in Wales, who actually said uh, on the mic. He said, "Coming on now is number ten, Junior Bent," and he probably is. <laughs> <laughs> What, Junior? <laughs> My word. <laughs> I, remember, I remember going to Walsall away uh, about ten years ago, and uh, the, the match they announced there was incredible. I guess all time, he goes, OK, we're going to bring you the scores from around the ground. Uh, just as soon as I've printed them off, uh, give us five minutes. <laughs> and he comes back on and goes, right, this printer's knackered. I don't know. Has anyone got Wi-Fi? Get <laughs> up phones off the vans. And he goes, oh, by the way, we found a set of keys. I think there might be car case. <laughs> that was it. That was all we got out of it. It was wonderful. <laughs> it's different, though, isn't it? Really, you know. I mean, it's it, it's sort of it kind of local. One of one of the great things for me was my vantage point because I was always in the fourth official's dugout, and so I heard all the wonderful dialogue that went on between you know the rival managers. And you'll you'll love this because my absolute favourite was Stuart Pearce when he was at Manchester City. And he gave this player the biggest bollocking you've ever heard in your life. And we were all in the dugout. There's a fourth official, the sky bloke, and me. And we're like this. And he walked over to me and he said, I've tried being nice, but it doesn't work. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, like, what on, I've been to Fulham. Um, well, we went to watch uh, West Ham away at Fulham a few years ago. So you must have been announcing on the day. Like, do you have... What's your opening script on match day? What's, what, what are the words? What are the first words out of your mouth? Well, uh, I, I, I used to say when the, when the players came, uh, came out, uh, I said, ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Amazing. Oh, it's original, though, isn't it? It's great. No one's ever said it before. It sounds like a boxing match is about something. Yeah, I know. Well, unfortunately, last season, it really wasn't showtime because, uh, <laughs> you know, the team, the team were, were relegated. But um, could switch we... it to bedtime. Eh? Nap time. Nap time. Yeah. nap time. yeah, it was more nap time, really. But we had wonderful times, you know, with Mohammed Al-Fayed. He gave us fan- fantastic times. And, and lots of laughs as well, you know. And, and, of course, the time that Michael Jackson turned up. Uh, Were you there? Yeah, well, I introduced him and I was told, uh, you know, get ready to introduce Michael Jackson. And I knew that he'd been at the Harrods sale. So, but, of course, the crowd didn't know that. And Mohammed Al-Fayed said, why don't you come and see my football team? He said, I've never seen a, a football match. Well, come along to Fulham. So um, I said, get ready to introduce Michael Jackson. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, please... Now, up until then, you have to understand, the biggest star we'd ever had was Jordan. The, the model? No, the country. <laughs> anyway, I said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Michael Jackson. So out he comes, and he's got a black and white umbrella over his head, although the sun is absolutely streaming down. And he, he goes round the ground to what I can only describe as polite applause. We all, all thought it was a look-alike. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he got to the Johnny Haynes stand, and the penny dropped that it is Michael Jackson. They, they burst into you know, tumultuous applause. And, of course, after that, uh, Mohammed R5 put the statue behind, behind the Riverside stand. Sadly, after he left and the statue left as well. They never won another game after that. <laughs> so, 
He was, you know, a lot of people didn't like the statue, but it brought us a lot of luck. There's a controversial figure, isn't he, Al Fayed? Um, yes. You know, he's got himself into various amounts of trouble over the years, but he was someone that you got to know quite well. Yes, I did. He was, he was wonderful to me and, and very, very funny. And uh, he always used to give me uh, some Viagra pills before kickoff. You know? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> these are what you need. You need these, you know. Would you take them? Well, of course. <laughs> He gave, he, gave them to, he, he gave them to the team as well to stiffen up the back four. <laughs> just, so you all stood there, like half, half past two, half an hour till kick-off. You just popped, what, one, one Viagra? Uh, oh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, scored every week. We <laughs> <laughs> just all love the idea of you sort of slowly getting randy as the, as, 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 as the game's going on. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah this football's all right, isn't it? <laughs> um, is it true, because I was going to ask you, is it true that he, he talks about his penis quite a lot? Well, he didn't to me. <laughs> um, he, may, he may have done to some people, but, uh, no, he was very, very funny. And he, he used to come over to, to me always. I would introduce him to the crowd, and he'd come out waving his scarf and do a kind of lap of honour and always come over and say hello. And I would say things to him, like, say, well, chairman, you know, we've got to win today. And he would say to me things like, well, if we don't win today, I'm going to them all right up the arse. <laughs> and I'd go like this with the microphone. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> of Viagra, mate. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, you've got a book out. Um, where have I put it? I put it down here. Uh, David Hamilton, uh, A Fulhamish Tale. Um, that has various... Uh, That's what I brought and... for you. You asked me to bring you a little present. That's right, so yeah. I, I brought you this. It's A Fulhamish Tale. It's a book that I... I wrote about Fulham a couple of years ago, and uh, you probably wonder what Fulhamish is. Yes. And I've actually put it in the, in the introduction there. Fulhamish is quirky, eccentric, and capricious. Oh, it's a real word. Well, it is now. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, so you just made it up. Well, I think it should be. I think it should, it's one of those words that should go into the dictionary because Fulham is a unique football club. You know, the, the, the cottage... It's the, it's the only club where the players uh, change in a house. There's mm -hmm. no other league club where that happens. The Johnny Haynes stand, which is also a listed building, the Riverside. I mean, it's, it's a real old-fashioned football ground. Uh, chapter four is called Dirty Fulham. Is this, is this uh, a load of Viagra sales? Well, it is, but there's an even better <laughs> chapter. There's an even better chapter, which is called Dicks Out. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason it's called Dicks Out was that we had a manager called Alan Dix, who was extremely unpopular. He kept getting his cock and out. The, uh, well, <laughs> well you, you're on the right track there, because the crowd... <laughs> the crowd all shouted, Dix out, and he was replaced by Arthur Cox. <laughs> I mean, he, he was one of those... He tells quite a good story with Rodney Marsh. Um, and he said, I'm having a good game. Well, I'm thinking I'm having a good game. And... Um, he said, Marsh used to pull out to the left. He said, no, I'm hitting these balls. And Bobby Campbell comes in at half-time, and he said, it's not quite getting there. And then all of a sudden, uh, Bobby's gone to Marshy. Look, Les is hitting some great balls out there to you, Rodney. Move about. Marshy goes, well, if he can't f***ing hit me when I'm standing still, how's he going to hit me when I move? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a great quote of yours, Dave, earlier today. Uh, that I, I meant to quote the first time. It's from my favourite... Today was the first time I'd heard it, and it, uh, it's already become one of my favourite football quotes of all time. I don't know if you remember saying this. 
But he said, one day I'm going to answer the phone and someone will say, Harry, we're eighth in the league with a good squad and youngsters coming through. We're doing all right, but the manager's just left for Real Madrid and we need someone to get us to the next stage. I never get that. I get, Harry, we're in the cart. That'll be my epitaph. It lies Harry Bassett, deep in the shit, where he started. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, never, I never got the good jobs. It was always, we're in the shit, can you stop us getting relegated? Or it. so, you know, but it, it did, I had one or two where I, I looked back and I had the chances to join clubs, but it just, I didn't think it was right. Uh, I could have gone to Chelsea, but I didn't think it was what right. What year? Uh, when Porterfield got it. And, that, and I could have gone to Aston Villa when I first, but that year I said about Sheffield United we were f- four points from 17 games I mean you know I was never going to get the sack whereas probably now and we stayed up and, and Doug Ellis came and wanted me to do the Villa job and everything else and offered a lot more money but I just felt I was obliged and loyal to Sheffield United we'd done so much to stay there so sometimes you, you, you don't you know, the, the only two times I, I made a mistake, I should have gone to Sunderland uh, when they were at Roker Park and they were going to move to uh, stadium uh, the, the, the Stadium of Light. I should have gone then, I should, it was time to leave Sheffield United. And then when I was at Barnsley, I had the chance to, to go to Blackburn and uh, I turned that down. They're, they're, you know, you, you have your regrets, but it's not the end of the world because I had such a great time. Well, let's open the floor uh, to questions. Um, if we could just have the highest lights up, uh, please. Um, raise your hand and we've got uh, John, uh, who's going to bring a roving mic. So if you could just say your name clearly. Uh, if you do support a club, what club you support, uh, and your question, please. And uh, direct it to uh, one or more members of the panel. So uh, do we have uh, any questions? Yes, the gentleman down at the front. Question first. Question for Dave. And uh, what's your name and, and uh, your club? Tony. I'm a QPR fan. Okay. Um, Dave, when you were sort of uh, getting into management, which were the managers that you looked up to? You mentioned Dave Sexton, Don Howe and Ian Greaves. Were they the ones that you kind of tried to model yourself on or did you feel you kind of went your own way? Well, I was always interested in being coaching. I, I, I coached at QPR when I was 21 and, you know, when Gordon Jago was there and I was always interested and progressed through and, you know, I did my badges and wanted to get into management. And um, when I, I did some of the FA courses and everything else and the people like Don Howe, Dave Sexton and Ian Greaves, they were doing a lot of the, some of the coaching and you learn and you go on and they were good characters and I thought that, that, that what they were talking was good sense and everything else and you know I just thought yeah as a coach I was more of a coach I never tried to sort of decide I was going to be like a manager you've got to be yourself if you try and be somebody else it doesn't come through you just got to be as you are and accept for what you are and try and work out what your strengths are uh, and uh, get that to the t- to the players. Uh, if you've got a weakness, you get somebody in the club or somebody who works with you that's got can, that can do that strength for you. So, I, as I say, the one thing I always felt was team spirits was a was a vital thing, and the camaraderie and having a laugh. You know, if you're going to go to work, enjoy it. In, in terms of managers, uh, John, growing up, Howard Wilkinson's an obvious choice for you for, because of what happened in 1992. But who were your favourite managers as a fan that you admired? as a supporter watching football go on <laughs> not quite clear on the question well Howard well we had a litany of uh, you know at least sort of people what's sad is when people because it's such a it's, it's an alchemy isn't it and we we sort of had a panic period where we brought in people who were clearly good like Peter Reid and Terry Venables and they didn't have a chance and you just end up they had a few months there in a doomed job and you can't help I mean I, Howard looks in the last English manager to win the top flight, and God knows when that'll happen again. 
I'm coming across as quite the uh, UKIP supporters. Here, <laughs> I? I everything seems to come back to the you know English managers and English players. Uh, this is a fascinating time to have you here, David, because um, Fulham is just recovering from the Felix Magat years. Yes. Did you encounter him? Because I've heard so many yes. stories that he would have staring competitions with people yes. that he would try and intimidate. Is all that stuff true? Very unFulhamish, wasn't it? I think you know <laughs> if, you, if you if you're thinking of a man who was perfect for Fulham, really, it was Roy Hodgson because. Roy Hodgson had this knack, uh, I think Dave you know, referred to this earlier, um, of bringing the best out in players. And you look at players in that team, Danny Murphy, who'd been through you know, a pretty tough time, suddenly became five, six, seven, eight years younger. Um, you had Zoltan Gira, you had Bobby Zamora, you had all these various different players who probably played the best football of their career under Roy Hodgson. And, of course, Ray Lewington uh, was there as well. I think the problem with the England team is that, you know, there are so few... I know this is a simplistic thing to say, but there are so few English players now in the Premier League that whereas in 1966, when we won the World Cup, yeah, there were some Scottish players and Irish and Welsh players, but there were a lot of English players that were available. And I think that that is the, the basic problem that Roy has to work with. But I think as a club manager at Fulham, he was absolutely fantastic. Felix Magat was just, I'm afraid, you know, a total disaster. And thank God we've got Kit Simons now, who is Fulhamish, and who is, you know, turning it round. OK, take a couple more questions from the audience, uh, the gentleman there. And then is there anyone on that side of the room, someone just wants to indicate, yeah, we'll take two more questions. Yes, name and club, please. Um, Gareth, I'm a Forest fan. Got Excellent. Another, another question for uh, Dave. Um, if Raheem Sterling had come to you and said, I'm feeling a bit tired, boss, what would your answer have been? <laughs> got a f- bed earlier. <laughs> 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 Amazing. Yes, was, hello. Up on the balcony. What's your name, sir? Josh, West Ham fan. Josh, West Ham fan. Hey. Yeah, um, to all the panel. To all the panel. How many keep you uppies can you do with John's football? Starting with John Richardson. Uh, this is actually because it's a skill ball, it's quite hard, it's quite heavy, and it's quite yeah, small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Am I allowed to bounce? No. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven. Richardson. Dave, are you sure you want to do this? No. <laughs> when I played, I was usually kicking the opposition. So <laughs> loot, loot, loot. One. <laughs> you can have a, you can have another go because you're a legend. One, two, three. Three. Come on, Dave, I'll come on. <laughs> Richardson three. Well, Richardson sad. seven. That's I'm hard, three. Yeah. I'm going to be ten. good at this because I used to be centre forward for Subutio. <laughs> <laughs> One. <laughs> Kicked off. So Richardson's in the lead. So give us that ball back, please. Come on, son, I've got Winkle pickers on, so this is how many people's drink did I knock over there with yeah. that? Crikey! I tell you what, he chased that ball down with some passion as well. There. <laughs> <laughs> Man you see that? Ball, I can still move. You took that piano out. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm really worried now. I'm worried you're going to hoof right, through on. it and kill someone on the balcony. Look out, look oh, out. We did it with a microphone. Look out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Score draw. It's shoes, isn't it? See shoes. Oh, you had a little temper tantrum. Football in knees. Shut my football boots like that, do they? You don't understand football, any of this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't believe it. It's tight. 
Proportionally, it's closer to your body size than mine. So you've had a, you've had a, you've had a, you've had a, you've had an advantage. Let's face it, he's got plimsolls on. Yeah. Plimsolls? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's cheated. David's got clogs. <laughs> what you're saying, David, is a dirty Leeds cheat. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, and you've got pair of shoes on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this brings us to the end of uh, a truly special night. The next, Are we wrapping uh, up now because you had a little tantrum and kicked your cheese <laughs> shit off? You <laughs> just... I'm trying to finish this now. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe I only did two. That's gonna. I'm gonna remember that like footballers remember missed penalties. I'm gonna. Have, <laughs> I'm, ten years time, if I'm still here, I'm gonna be worried. I'm going to remember the time I did two keepy uppies in front of Dave Bassett. I'm sorry, Dave. I let you down, didn't I, as a fan? Yeah. No wonder Chet will give you a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give over John Richardson, Dave Bassett and Denny Dave Hamilton. I've been Matt Boards. Thank you very much. Good night. Hey now. It's your favourite night of the week. Matt Ford's Sports Party on Talk Sports. No flipping.